All right, so we're in the third week of our series. Today's actually the last day of our three-week series that we've been doing uh, entitled A War Waged, really fighting for family values. And the first couple of weeks uh, really laid the foundation and then really dived into some of the you know meat behind this message. And if you were here with us in the first week, we talked about how the enemy is bringing the battle to us, that we're in a war, he wants to destroy our families. And whether we understand that or whether we choose to acknowledge that or not, it's happening. And so we need to get on the offensive and we need to get in this fight. Second week, we talked about what is the secret weapon. And Pastor Mike did an amazing job last week of really bringing that to us, helping us to see. In fact, actually, I remember last week I said if you knew what the secret weapon was, if you had a guess, right, that you would write that down on your connection card and that you would turn that in so that we could go through those and see uh, who said what. And I found some very interesting answers, actually. In fact, I just want to go through a few of those with you. The ones that were most interesting but actually not correct... (laughs) I said I was going to do that, right? So let me get these out here. Most interesting but not correct. So what was the secret weapon? And people, I, I suppose that what people put down is what they thought like in their own lives has been really effective or very helpful or really made a difference, right? And so uh, starting out, the first, which the answer was what, by the way? God's love, right? See, we were paying attention, Pastor Mike. So, uh, I'm looking to see if all these people are here. I see one's missing. Okay. So Molly Guberlet, Molly Guberlet, what is the secret weapon? A Gibson acoustic guitar. I suppose that really helps for Molly. I mean, any situation, hey, whip out the acoustic, start strumming the chords, proves the situation. Good, good answer, Molly, but not correct. Okay. Yeah. So Gibson Acoustic, I like it. That's a good answer. So next is Lisa Ross. Lisa, Photoshop. I mean, (laughs) Photoshop enhances any image. Take a picture, make it what you want, and, uh, yeah, manipulate that situation. So Photoshop, good job, Lisa, but not the answer. Drew McCausland, a new tattoo. That's pretty good, yeah. Hey, when you're down, when you need a little pick-me-up, you know, Actually, I just found out there's a really great tattoo artist, a town over in Hecker, like one of the best in the area. Yeah, maybe we'll go. I'm thinking about getting another one, so maybe, yeah, we'll check it out. All right. Uh, Marcus Alston, 40 caliber Sig Sauer. Okay. <laughs> Typical answer for a police officer. And the last one, which I thought this was the most unique, Carrie Dumberth, Melatonin. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose that helps things. It does. For those of you who don't know, uh, we'll talk later about that. I'm going to get distracted. Okay, so those were not correct, but the right answer to week two, what was the secret weapon, is the love of God. And so now week three, we're going to talk about the conquest, and we're going to wrap up today. And the, the way I think of a conquest is basically it's, it's kind of a war term, you know, that's used, and it means to have fought a very long, grueling battle and to have achieved victory. So it's not just like a battle per se in itself as much as it is like really kind of this epic adventure, this this long journey, this series of battles that have been fought 
and that ultimately victory is attained. And so when we talk about fighting for the family values and, and really believing and fighting for what God has for our families, I see it much that way, that it's a long-distance fight. It's a war that we're engaged in from the time we set foot on this earth until the time we leave this earth to go be with God in heaven. And we know that to be true because we know that the enemy has a certain level of authority in this earth to where he can rule and he can reign uh, in, a, in such a way where he pulls people into the powers of darkness. Now, we also know that God's authority trumps that, and so we have the victory over him in the name of Jesus, but not in our own authority. So if we're not walking in Jesus' authority, then we're subject to what the enemy throws at us. So we're in a war engaged from the time we're here to the time we leave. So it's a long-fought, grueling battle. And what we have to, first of all, realize is we have to dig in and fight. If that's the case, if we're going to be in a war, if we're going to be in a battle, we've got to dig in and fight. We can't get passive. We can't get, you know, like uh, intermittent where sometimes we will, sometimes we won't because when we're, we're not engaged and really, you know, walking in the authority of Christ, then the enemy's going to come and he's going to try to pounce on us. So we have to dig in and we have to fight. And one of the things that's interesting to me is it's always, I always love this may be sound weird, but I always like listening to what people uh, say. And most of these things I've I've read, I haven't been there firsthand. But what people say when they're dying, you know, and what you find is that most people that did not really live the life for 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 some greater purpose, right, and ultimately for what God had for them or whatever. You, you, you many times find when people are dying that they look back and they really feel like, man, I would, have, I would have done things differently. I would have really lived with more purpose. I would have lived a lot less selfishly. I would have not cared anywhere near as much about my own ple pleasures and well-being. I would have tried to give back more. I would have tried to do more. And I'll just say, let's learn from that. You know, we, we are here now and we've got the opportunity to make an impact and a difference in this fight. We can change the tide. We can sway things in a direction because we have the opportunity to wield a sword. Whereas those that have gone before us that are no longer here, that, that opportunity is gone. And we still have that in front of us. So we have to dig in and fight. Now, if you're going to fight, if you're going to be in a war, look, you have to grasp the fact that you're going to get bloody. You're going to take shots, right? You're going, walking through life, just raising your family, living out God's purposes for you, it's, it's one that is constantly going to be under assault. Now, you have the victory. Make no mistake, and I want to be very clear about that. The victory is ours, but we are still going to be under attack, and any, any soldier in battle is going to get bloody they're going to, to take blows. It's, it's, part of the, it's part of the territory. It's part of the call, right? And so we know that uh, Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, verse 35, he says, whoever desires to lose his, or to give his, to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will save it. Now, I could go on a lot, about a lot of different scriptures, but here, he's being very clear that, look, there is when you're living for my purposes, when you're going to move in victory and the life that I have for you, it's going to mean losing and giving up 
the things that you may per want for your own pleasure or your own desire. It's going to mean taking blows. It's going to mean getting bloody. It's not going to be easy, but it is the greater path. Jesus is very clear about that, and he makes no apologies for that. I actually love this part about God, really, because he does not apologize or beat around the bush or kind of like fluff it up about the fact that you're going to get bloody, that this is going to be a fight, and you are going to have to dig in, and you're going to have to grind and, and grab the authority time and time and time again that I've given you and apply it. It's not like you swing a sword one time and it's over. I mean, you're going to swing that thing a lot, and, you, and he doesn't make any apologies for that. And we need to come to grips with the fact that, hey, this Christian life is a great life. It's a victory life. And we live with purpose, but it's not going to be easy. There's going to be the enemy. The enemy is going to be knocking at your doorstep, coming at you from different angles on many occasions to try and thwart and deter and stymie what God is trying to do in your life. And you just need to know that. It's just, you've got to be aware of that so that you can say no I'm a soldier. I'm not sheathing my sword. I'm not taking off my armor. I'm not going to go sit back and camp and chill. I'm going to stay in this fight, and I am going to be a part of helping sway the outcome of this conquest. Amen? Amen. So the next thing we got to realize is we got to use the right weaponry. Right? I mean, we've got to use the weapons that God gave us. And Pastor Mike did a great job last week talking about love. And about how God, the love of Christ, is the secret weapon. And so it's interesting, this, this scripture in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about this in verse 13. Or I'm sorry, chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Let's put that up. <clears throat> I want a weapon that doesn't fail. How about you, right? I want a weapon that I know when I pick it up, it's going to do what it's supposed to do. I'm going to win if I use that weapon, right? I don't want to go into a gunfight with a knife, Unless I'm like a ninja, maybe, or something. I mean, that might be okay, but you know what I'm saying. You want a weapon that's going to get the job done. And in 2 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 10, it says, Love never fails. Just say that for a second. Love never fails. When does it fail? Never. Never, ever, 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 right? It never fails. You pick up that weapon, you will win every time. The love of Christ. Amen. Love will never fail. Prophecies will fail. Tongues will cease. Knowledge will vanish. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. Now, stop right there for just a second. Prophecy, tongues, knowledge. He's talking about spiritual gifts here. So it's not like he's saying, hey, you know, things in this earth are going to fade away, although they will. I mean, he's talking about God, spiritual gifts, effective things for ministry. But he's saying, look, they're imperfect, you know. I mean, they're going to fail. You're going to prophesy in part. You're not going to see all the time. Knowledge is going to pass away. But love never fails. Never. It will always be the weapon that you lead with. And then he goes on to say, when that which is vanished, uh, when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away. So we're living in a, in a world right now, walking through life, that's in part, right? It's imperfect. It's flawed. It's broken. We grasp that. We know that. And he's saying that when that which is perfect has come, all that's going to pass away. But while you're here in the imperfect, in the broken, in the flawed, love will never fail you. 
you will always have faith and moving in love. And if you're, the love of Christ is compelling you and you're acting out of that, then the way you move to fight for your family, to fight for your purposes, to fight for your community, whatever it may be, love will never fail you. I love that. Amen. So how we use it, how do we use it, right? I mean, it's, it's great to have a machine gun, but if you can't load it and turn the safety off, it's not really going to do you much good, right? So how do we use love? And this is just a way to look at this, okay? Um, but 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge that if one died for all, then we all died. He died for all, that those who live no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. And to me, this is really the key is that in order to use love, in order to work in love, to move in love, it has to be entirely disconnected from self-pleasure and self-preservation, uh, self-pursuing what self wants, right? It's a selfless thing. He's saying, look, Christ died for you. He gave it all. He did it all. He was the ultimate example of selflessness. And that was the ultimate. What does the Bible say? It says uh, that no, no greater love has any man than this thing to lay down his life for his brother. And Jesus did that, right? So he's saying that love compelled him to sacrifice all, to give completely of himself and anything he would have maybe desired for his own well-being, to lay that down and to act, to be compelled, to be motivated to action in such a way that's driven entirely by the benefit of others and by the plans that God has placed on us, not what we would like to do or how we would like to see our life live because we think about the pleasure that it may or may not bring us. And so in order to really move in love, it, it has to be examined uh, through this lens of you really seeking God, what he has for us and what he wants to use us to do and be focused outside of our own box and focus more on the world around us, the sphere of influence in which God has placed us and so what can we do to change, to, to, to impact these situations? What can God use us to do? And it's, it's going to involve not being focused on how things are going to benefit you or what kind of pleasure you can achieve or attain. But what the great thing is, again, another thing I love about God is that when we do that, when we live for others, when we live for his purposes and not our own, when we lay all of ourself down, then actually there's more joy in that than anything else we could actually conjure up. Right? Anything we could design for ourselves. That's one, that's one of the great beauties of walking in God's plan and seeking him and living in love selflessly is that ultimately at the end of the day, supernaturally because of his design, we live in more joy and more fulfillment and happiness than anything else we could possibly design for ourselves. So we have to dig in and we've got to fight. The next, other thing we've got to do, and I really felt inclined to talk about this, because I think this is huge, is we have to release ourselves from any kind of perfect expectations. We have to release ourselves from any kind of perfect expectations. I just became very mindful of the fact that we're, we're talking about God has a plan. He's got a design. We've got to follow that in order to see what, you know, the blessings come to pay. All this stuff is true, and that's, we've got to do that. Love compels us. But we have to release ourselves from any kind of perfect expectation, like we're just never going to make a wrong move. Because as a parent, as a husband, as a wife, look, we do it all the time. And so why this is so important is because the enemy would love for you to feel like 
you know, you have to just walk this line and just keep building up this track record in order to stay on course. And what happens is the further you walk with, with things going well, the more weight you feel. It's like it piles up like, oh my gosh, it's, I've done so good for so long. If something happens or goes wrong, I'm going to break this whole thing, this whole blessing thing, you know. Or, or when we do err and mess up, then we think, oh my gosh, I was doing so well, and now it's like, oh my God, I've got to just, now I'm going to have to put 14 days of good stuff on top to get back where I was because I had a couple weeks, you know. And that's just not true. The enemy would love for you to think that, but you've got to release yourself from perfect expectations. Look, God has. He's released you from being perfect. You need to release yourself from being perfect. And if, there is, if this is looked at the right way out of a heart that loves Christ, that the love of Christ is working in, it's a perfect thing. It's not a license to sin or mess up. It's just saying, hey, I get it that I'm an imperfect person, and God has forgiven me for that. I remember one of the things that I struggled with the most and uh, was just like my temper, you know. I just... At certain points, when my wife and I were early in our marriage, um, and she was a lot to deal with, I would just, it's, at certain times, no, look, I'm, I'm just, I, I know, I'm just built, I mean, uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save myself here. I'm going to shift it back to me now. Yeah, so one of the things that, I would do is I would just blow up. I would like explode, like seriously, like scream, yell, cuss, throw things, punch things. I mean, that was my way of, of regaining control of the situation. When she was, you know, battling me or we're back and forth and I just couldn't seem to like invoke my will on her, that stubborn woman that she was, you know, I would just, I would, I would blow up. And, uh, and so I really started working on this, and I was trying to get better at it, you know, and would, more time would pass in between those episodes or whatever you can call it. And one day we were in our, our first house that we had, and the kitchen was set up where it was like the, the steps that went downstairs, it was like open, what do they call that, a, uh, like not an atrium, but anyway, it's like an open floor plan where you can walk down the steps into the basement, but the kitchen, there's just a little half wall, and you could look over the half wall and see down the steps, and there's the ceiling and everything. So I tell you that for this reason. We got in an argument. We're standing in the kitchen, and I just, oh, I snapped, you know. And there was, there was this little thing of sunny delight. You remember those little sunny D things that, like, had the little tops on them or whatever? And I just, I grabbed that thing. I guess the lid wasn't on real well. And I just, like, chucked it as fast as I could and as hard as I could. And it hit the wall over there above the steps, and it exploded. I mean, juice just went everywhere. And we have white walls and ceiling. And so there's orange juice and, and liquid just everywhere. It splattered on me. It splattered on her. And as soon as that happened, you know, I knew. I was just like, I'm just ashamed of myself, you know. I mean, seriously, like, this is what this has come to. It's funny. God, I think he has a sense of humor because I cleaned that whole thing up, but I never could quite get to the, the back corner of the ceiling. And so for, for the next whatever year or two that we lived in that house, every time I went downstairs, I'd look up and I'd see those little orange splatters. I think that was maybe just reminding me, you know. But anyway, so my point is, is when I would have these, when I would blow up and I would have these episodes, I would just get to feeling like so guilty and so condemned, like I was doing so good and now I just screwed up. And I suppose this is probably how people that have addictions and stuff or different things feel at times where it's like you do so well and then something happens and then you feel like, man, I could never get back to where I was now. I, I've got to walk so many days now to get back to this place I was. What's the point, you know? I can't do that. I, I gave it everything I got and I only made it that far. 
And that is one of the biggest lies that the enemy could serve you up. And if you take it, it will keep you from really grasping some of the things that God died for you to have. Take a look at this. In John chapter 1, verse 8, John says, we, we know that sin is in us, right? It's, we're not perfect just because we receive the Holy Spirit at salvation. He says, if we say we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we have to realize that we're, in, we're imperfect people. We're going to screw up. We're going to make mistakes. We're, you know, we're going we're gonna to do something that's maybe not a good decision for our kids or we're going to maybe be mean to our spouse or we're going to, you know, disrespect our, our siblings or I don't know. There's just, you're going to do things because we're imperfect, because we're in sinful nature, right? doesn't mean you just, okay, I, let's go do it, like I said a second ago, but it means we're going, it's going to happen. We're going we're gonna to miss the mark a, f- a few times here and there. You can't beat yourself up and keep yourself from what's ha- what you can be that day from that, on, that point on or tomorrow. It says in, ver- in verse 9, if you move on, it says, If we confess our sin, then he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this was one of the greatest revelations that I got from the scriptures is that, oh my gosh, God's not in the track record. Oh my gosh, God's not looking for me to go get two or three weeks of good deeds piled back up to get back where I was so then I can pick back up from where I left off. You mean to tell me the moment I threw that thing and lost my temper, I can, I can humble myself and repent for this sin. I can ask God to forgive me and he can do that and he can cleanse me from that unrighteousness and wash me clean and I could be just as whole and just as righteous before as I was before before him? Oh my gosh, that means that at any moment, at any time when I screw up, God can just restore everything right back to where it was. That's amazing, and that is exactly what these scriptures say. So when we mess up, when we err, when we are fighting this battle, and we make a wrong decision, and and maybe some people, uh, there's some consequences, there's some collateral damage, we're going to have to deal with that stuff. But, that, but look, God is going to forgive you and put you back in a position of righteousness and wholeness before him and set you forth from that moment on. And just as power and just as much strength as you had before you made that mistake. And I just think that's one of the most important things we're going to grasp because if we're going to be in this for the long haul, if we're going to fight this, vic- this war over years and years and years, we're going to have to know there's going to be many occasions where we're going to have to come back to that. We're going to have to come back to that, and, and we're going to have to humble ourselves and do what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, where it says, you have to come boldly to the throne of grace, that you may obtain grace or obtain mercy and find grace in your time of need. See, I'm not even, I, I don't hesitate. When I screw up, when I make a mistake, when I, you know, yell at my wife, or I get angry with my kids, or I, whatever, or I, you know, forget to call my mom on her birthday, or whatever, I don't know if that's technically a sin. I'm just saying, when I screw up, when I screw up, I get it, man. I'm, I'm like, first move, I'm throwing myself at the feet of Jesus. I'm humbling myself, but I'm doing it boldly. Hey, God, I'm coming quick because I am not going to walk two more steps before I get forgiveness and before I get cleansed and before I get back in that place I want to be where I'm walking in the fullness of your blessing and your power and your authority as I move on because I'm not, something else is coming up the road anyway. I need to be strong. I need to be ready. And so we have to be bold about going to that place. So cut yourself some slack. Say, cut yourself some slack. Don't be too hard on yourself. 
and release yourself from perfect expectations because God already has. And if God's not expecting that from me, I sure don't want to expect that from myself, right? Everybody still out there today? All right. Next, we've got to make him Lord. If we're going to fight this long-distance battle, man, we've got to make him Lord. We've got to really grasp that, look, he is the ultimate authority. God has the final say. We've got to have a reverence for his omniscience and his omnipotence. Let me explain. We've got to be so reverent and so thankful that God is all-knowing, and he knows everything, and he understands everything, and he has the answers for everything. And we also have to know that he is omnipotent, that he has all power to overcome anything, and that that power is in us by the power of the Holy Spirit that God sends when we receive his Son. So we've got to build a reverence for his omniscience and his omnipotence. And when you do that, when you really, really grasp that, that Philippians 4.13, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And 1 John 4.4, that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. When you really grasp this stuff and you have this reverence for his omniscience and his omnipotence, he becomes the ultimate governing authority. He has the final say in your life about the matters that you're going to face. You're not going to go somewhere else for an answer that's going to trump God, for, a, for an answer that's going to conflict with what this word says or what God is spoken to you by the Spirit, by the messenger of truth. He is going to be the ultimate governing authority in your life, and he's going to be the one that you turn to when you face anything hard or whenever you celebrate the victories. And we've got to make him Lord like that. And it's funny, my kids, sometimes I tell them to do things, you know, and they're, why, Daddy, Why? You know, well, I don't understand why this, why that. And it's like a million questions. You know, so a lot of times I'm just like, because I said so. Just because I said so. Can, can that one be good enough for today? You know, and I, I tried that with Katie too. That doesn't work. But because I said so. And, and look, all I'm saying is it's, it doesn't work with your kids every time. But it's, it needs to be good enough for God for you. It needs to be good enough because... If you're looking for a detailed explanation of everything God's telling you to do and everything God's speaking to you, and if it's, it's your obedience is contingent upon your understanding, that's a problem. That's just going to be a problem. You've got to make him the ultimate governing authority in your life. And when he says it, okay, good enough. I'd like to know understanding. I want, you know, and as I dig and as I pray, I'll get more. But sometimes you're not going to get everything you're looking for. And just because he said it has got to be good enough. And what that means is if anybody else, the world, society, neighbors, anybody else in any other situation is conflicting with that, it doesn't matter. I've already heard from the ultimate governing authority. I've already heard from the dean of this institution. I can't, I can't do anything else, right? And finally, in this long battle, this, this conquest is we cannot be dissuaded. We cannot lose heart. We cannot get discouraged. The enemy discouragement is, is something that he wants to, to hit you with and, and trample you with, and we cannot be dissuaded. And sp specifically what I mean by that is that we cannot get wearisome or tired of walking in the place and in the direction that God is telling us to go, raising our families, living our lives, 
the battle, the, 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 the blows that are going to come, the, the wounds we're going to face, we cannot be dissuaded because of those things. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, I forget, it's in Galatians, and it says, Do not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you do not faint. Do not grow weary in doing what God has called you to do. You're going to take blows, you're going to get hit, but don't get discouraged. I love the way that uh, Paul lives this out before us, right? Interesting guy, and he, he, he modeled this thing greatly for us. And by the way, you think that you made mistakes. Think about Paul, okay? This is a guy that killed Christians for a living before he became one. And then he taught all of them how to be better at it. Just saying, little disconnect there, right? God forgives, God restores. So don't be so hard on yourself. So in Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 24, Paul says, he's talking about being led in the Spirit and going the direction God is calling him to go, much like I'm trying to explain here. He says, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except, except. This is the only part of the understanding that he gets. He knows he's supposed to go. He's led in the Spirit. No question about it. The only understanding he gets, the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying, chains and tribulations await me. How'd you like to get that part of understanding in there, right? You ask too much, you might get something you don't want. So anyway, he's bound in the Spirit. Another version that I heard in the Scriptures I love, it says, the Holy Spirit has tied a rope around my heart. I love that. It's like, you know, I can't, I don't know what to tell you. I just, I can't go any other direction but the way the Lord leads, right? And so, none of, and then he goes on to say, that holy, the chains and tribulations await me, but none of these things move me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of, stinks, you know, that's a bummer, but it doesn't change, doesn't change things. Still going, still doing it. He says, I do not count my life dear to myself. Here we see that selfless thing again, right? Motivated by love, not living selfishly, but selflessly, compelled by the Holy Spirit, moving forward in love, and not, in fact, it even says later in uh, chapter 21, they're trying to talk him out of going, because they're like, dude, I mean, you're going to die. I mean, seriously, there's got to be another way. There's got to be another plan. And not that that's a bad thing for them to care about him, to try to talk him out of it. But look, he knew. He heard from God. I mean, he knew what the Holy Spirit was saying. Just like we got to know what the Holy Spirit is saying. Hey, sometimes that just ain't a good decision for your family. Sometimes that just ain't the right thing for your kids. Sometimes that just ain't the way you, you know, need to deal with your marriage. I'm just saying, it doesn't mean that everything else is wrong. It just means that you got to know what God is leading you to do, and you got to make it, you got to make a stand and not be dissuaded or discouraged in doing it, even whenever you're going to face opposition because you're going that road. I mean, Paul was going to die, or he was going to get him, he knew it was bad, and it says he would not be dissuaded. He would not be dissuaded. Finally, they just stopped trying to talk him out of it because this guy is, I mean, he's, he's like chained to Christ, I guess. That's what he was, right? The Holy Spirit was bound to the Holy Spirit. He was going wherever he went. And we have got to be this way. We have to live where we're just, we're tied, we're bound to whatever direction God is leading us to go. Which, as a side point, look, that's why it's so important to read your Bible. That's why it's so important to pray. That's why it's so important to hear the voice of God so that you get that instruct, that you get that direction, you get that knowledge, you get what God has already said in his word and the authority you have, and you know all that. You're getting it and being fed it into you, your spirit, so that you can walk that out. But he was not dissuaded. This has got to be our resolve. 
And look, everybody around him saw that. They were not questionable about this fact. This guy wasn't wishy-washy, man. Does, do people around you, do me, us, do they see the same thing? Boy, their resolve, I mean, they're, they're going to do what they believe is right. I mean, no, it doesn't matter. You, you could try, right? I'm just saying, is that what people see? Do they see that kind of resolve in your life, the way you are bound to what Christ has for you? And uh, I love this situation in John chapter 6. I'm going to do this quickly, but I think this is important. Jesus is talking, and he's, he's gaining a lot of followers at this particular point, right? He's starting, a lot of people are being touched by his ministries. A lot of people are following him around. There's, there's a pretty good multitude at this point. I'm not exactly sure of how many, but it's, it's a good number. And he comes out with this saying where he says, you know, I'm the bread of life. And if you want eternal life, then you're going to have to eat my body and drink my, eat my flesh and drink my blood. This is like a crazy saying, especially for the dude that's like there. He's living there. You know, he's with you. We get it now what he meant. We, we celebrate this in the communion. But w- w- at that time, I mean, this was like, this was baffling. What does he mean? And as a result, the, 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 the Bible says here in John 6 that many did not continue to follow him. Many left him because this was just, it, because this was such a hard saying. They, they couldn't grasp, grasp. They, they couldn't gain understanding about what what Jesus was saying. And so they left. They basically chose to go a different way than than following Christ. Now, speaking towards us, that says a lot. Because there's going to be a lot of hard things that aren't just hard to do, but that you just don't get. Like, it just doesn't make sense. Why would I have to go through this? Why is God calling me to move? Why is he calling me to, you know, change careers? Why is he, I, I don't, why is he calling, why are we, do we have a child that is, you know, suffering from a disease or an illness? I, I don't, there's going to be a lot of things that you've got more questions and answers about, and you won't get the answers this side of heaven. And so if, and it's what Peter does after this that, that, that just inspires me. He said, Jesus says, are you going to leave me too? What are you going to do? They're all leaving. Notice, he doesn't stop and say, okay, let me just break this down so you get it. Let me really tell you what the blood, the flesh, let me, get, let me make sure you get it, then you're going to be okay with it. He does not go into that at all. He just says, you going to leave too? Are you going to go? I love it. Jesus gives us a choice. I mean, he didn't wrap them up, right? He just said, are you going to follow me? Are you going to go or are you going to leave? They have a choice at this particular moment and one of the hardest decisions they're ever going to make of what they're going to do. Follow Christ, follow the world. And what does Peter say? He says, because he gets it. He says, Lord, to whom would we go? To whom would we go? Right? Where would we go, man? I mean, you know, you've got to get God's plan is the plan. (laughs) Where else would I go? I mean, it may seem easier right now because this is a hard saying, this is a hard thing, but really, do I really want to be off course of what God is leading me to do? Where else would we go? And we've, we just bind ourselves to, it's, it's, it, it doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what's happening around us. We have got to stand in this war that we're in. We have got to be very clear about who the master is and who we're taking orders from. And we've got to carry out the orders that he's given us. 
or we fall out of line and we begin to subject ourselves to greater assault and greater tribulation than we could ever imagine possible than the difficulties we face when following the master and carrying out his orders. And the protection of the whole is there for us. So in conclusion, as we live this life, you know, and we build strong families, it's, 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 it's great to think about the fact that it's, it's bigger than us. You know, we're going to devote our life to it, yeah, and we're going to go be with God in heaven one day. But, but what we're doing with our life while we're here, the fight that we're in, the, the way that we're engaging and not disengaging and, and, and resolving to stay committed to what Christ has for us and what he said to do and how to raise our families, it's a generational transfer. I mean, it's transcendent. It just, when you raise that up in your family, when you bring that up, and, and you, you know, you're, and I'm not just talking about kids and, I mean, you're, the influence with siblings and cousins and friends and all this. When you're, when you're resolving to, to lead your family that way, you're impacting everybody else around you. But the thing is, is that it passes on. It passes on. You know, one of the things I'll never forget, many great things that I learned from my parents, but one of the things that my mom and dad used to say all the time is, we, we don't really care what your friends do. We, we don't really care. I mean, and they meant it, you know. I was like, oh, there he goes again, you know. Oh, yeah, that's always your answer, Dad, you know. But, and it seemed like kind of fu- funny and frustrating at the time. But you know what? That's in me, man. That is so in me, and that is the way that I feel. And if I, if I, I mean, my kids are going to feel that way. And you think, when you look at a, a generational tree, you know, you see like the, the patriarch and the matriarch or whatever, the great-great-grandfather and stuff, and you see this tree branching out, and then you see kids and then grandkids. When you get like four or five generations down, it's insane. I mean, your second, third, fourth cousins, once removed, ten times removed, whatever, it can be like total strangers to you, and you don't know. But think about that tree. That's huge. You are living in a way that's going to transfer something down into that. It's generationally transferable. It's, it's moving forward. It's leaving an impact. It's not just swaying the battle today. It's going to make a difference many, many years from now. And we are called to live that way. God has positioned us to live a life that does trans, that our influence transcends our own lifetime. And it is so important that we take up our sword and realize that that's the war we're fighting and that we have a part to play and that we can make a difference. It's bigger than us. And as the family gets stronger, our family gets stronger, our schools get stronger, our communities get stronger, our nation gets stronger, the body of Christ gets stronger. Families are so important to the plan that God has for each and every one of our lives in our own unique way that he's positioned us for. Let's stand to our feet.